0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. For many, implementing an innovation strategy, which requires changes within an organization, means adding layers of new processes. Lisa Bodell, author of Kill the Company, End the Status Quo, Start an Innovation Revolution argues that there are straightforward ways to make change without bogging down the organization. Knowledge at Wharton spoke with Bodell recently about her approach to getting companies to face their vulnerabilities, why taking risks are essential, and why small changes make all the difference.
1: Lisa, thank you so much for joining us at Knowledge at Wharton today. Thank you for having me. You open your book, Kill the Company, with a group of people ferociously plotting to decimate their main competitor (laughs) as they aim for market domination, but there's a twist. We discovered that this group is engaged in an exercise to help them look at their own company's vulnerabilities. It was their own company that they had torn apart, in fact. What is Kill the Company all about? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's, of course, my favorite exercise because it's the name of the book. Um, You know, Kill
2: the Company is about Having an out of company experience. It's about um, really examining your weaknesses so you can make them your strengths. So the idea of kill the company is um, rather than how it happens in most businesses that each year we we do a SWOT analysis, you know our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And most people use it as like a political construct to say where they're strong and they're not really weak, it's where they're challenged, and that doesn't really work. And so kill the company is pretend that you are your number one competitor. You have 30 minutes. How will you put yourself out of business? And what that does, especially with executives, it kind of gets their war mentality on. And they're given permission to really look at what's wrong. And then, ideally, what you find out is where are you really weak? What can you do about it? Who can you partner with? And even best, how can you then turn that back onto your competitors? So it's just a neat way, a neat twist, in terms
1: of looking at what, how your weaknesses are. But you give it kind of a gaming mentality. Right. And part of what you're looking at is removing those obstacles to innovation. What, what are some of those obstacles that you see? Well,
2: there's many. There's many. I mean, I think inherently a lot of people are adverse to taking a risk. And they don't realize it. They'll say, especially leaders, that uh, they want their teams to take a risk when they may be the biggest barrier to risk because they have so much on the line. You know, quarterly earnings. They've got all kinds of things that they have to manage. But I think uh, one of them is just aversion to risk. Another thing is, is a lack of definition around how much risk you can take. So those are some of the biggest barriers. If you can have leaders all of a sudden be open to more risk and define it, I think they'll operate less with handcuffs and more with guardrails and be willing to do not just incremental
1: change, but really dramatic disruptive ones. That's great. And if a company is committed to making that kind of a change and looking at you know, where they are, uh, where, how would they go about looking at where they fall on in the innovation spectrum? Mm. Well, it depends
2: on what you're talking about. It could be around risk. I, I think what they have to do is look at their culture. And I talk a lot about this in the book and that I think you can really look at a company's culture and determine how much risk they're willing to take. And I think they can look at a few things. Um, How much do their executives lead by example? How much failure or experimentation are you allowed to take? How much resources, that can be time or money, do they put towards new ventures? Um, What metrics are they measuring? And do those metrics have to do with um, uh, new things, new to market, new to the world types of adventures? And that will kind of give you a feedback for what is their culture like and are they really involved in leading innovation or is it more of a lip service? You'll
1: get a real feel for that spectrum quickly. Right, right. And just in terms of those those uh, different types of cultures, what, what do you see are some of the uh, main types of cultures within organizations? Well, I, uh, I'll tell you, it's interesting. What I did over the last few years
2: is I studied corporate cultures and change. And what was fascinating to me is we seem to talk about change um, or cultures in terms of good versus bad but I I don't think it's that simple. Actually, I think there's another culture that permeates all the organizations that many of us have worked at and is probably like the silent killer. The worst kind of culture isn't a bad culture, it's a complacent one. And I think the world has gotten so complex that we keep putting more and more processes in place, and the result of that is, is that people become complacent. They no longer think they can affect change, even though they might want to. They kind of give up. It's the, oh, everything's just fine mentality. And we see that at a lot of big corporations. They've got the money and the brand, and they can ride it out for a long time until, (gasps) All of a sudden, where did that small company come from? Who knew? And they had a
1: complacent culture. So I think that's that's something people really have to watch for in the future. And if, if an organization is ready to change, if they have identified these things and um, sort of reckon with their, their own culture, uh-huh. what, are the, what are the tenets to make change stick? Well, there's a few. In fact, we did some um, some
2: case studies over the last couple years and because we didn't know what really made change stick and why corporate culture change was so hard. And what we found through some of these case studies was, it was interesting, it wasn't what I thought when we first set out to do it. The first was, is that I think change has to happen not from the top down, but from the middle out. And what I mean by that is it has to really stick with people that are in the trenches and they're respected by leadership, but they're admired from those that are rising stars. These are the guys that are in the meetings and emails and slugging it out every day that I think can really affect change the most, as long as, of course, leadership wants you to make that change in the first place. The second thing is I think we think change is a um, it's a process, and I don't believe that's true. I think that um, if innovation or change was a process we all could do it because I'm sure people are very smart and can follow the rules. I think it's a toolkit. I really think it's in this world that's so complex they need on-demand tools that they can draw on with different things that come at them. And then the final thing I think with change is um, I, can't, I don't think it can be big mandates. I think it has to be something called little bigs. It's change with a little c. We have to start affecting change on an everyday level, in those meetings, with emails, with reports, with procedures. We have to affect it by leading by example in small ways to get people to then want to take big change. And that's not something we expected. We thought it would be big change initiatives, and in
1: fact, it was the opposite that worked. So that was a great, cool learning for us. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, uh, just to pick up on the first part of what you talked about, you cite recent research from Wharton Management Professor Ethan Malik <laughs> that shows that middle managers have more impact on a company's performance than nearly any other part of the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, according to this work you've done and the research you've done, uh, why is that important and can you tell us more about how um, that, that works? Well, I think it's very... Um It's important for people that are in organizations
2: and, you know, there's more managers than there are leaders, right? And those are the people that really are on the ground and that know how to run the business and can really affect change with so many different people. So I I think it's important, one, to acknowledge it. Um, I think, too, what you find is, like, people don't want to fire lit from underneath, right? They don't want a uh, fire lit from underneath them by leaders. They want to fire lit within them. And people can't tell you to do that. They have to really believe that they can affect change to do it. So I think the managers are the ones that really we need to concentrate on with change versus always these top-down approaches. we got to put more money here, not just here. You argue that employees need certain skills. What are some of those? Uh, I, again, you know, when we did some research, it wasn't what I thought. It's um, it's some basic things. It's perseverance. I think, especially with innovation and change, um, you can't expect it to happen the first try. So you have to have some perseverance. That's hard in this really on demand, do it this quarter world. Um, I think you need to have agility. You got to be able to pivot, have a plan B. That's really important. We talk a lot about um, provocative inquiry. I think that there's a lost art of asking questions. So we're so focused on getting the answer and being right that we've forgotten how to ask the right question. Some of it is because we don't want to make people uncomfortable, um, and I think some of it is we've just forgotten how. So provocative inquiry is another one. Uh, another one I'll mention is strategic imagination. And I only say that because I want to separate it from you know, creativity because I think people can come up with ideas, but you've got to be a dreamer with purpose in today's day and age because there's only so much money and time. So people that can really have strategic imagination I think will be the ones that rise to the top.
1: And can you tell us um, uh, as a final question about one or two of the companies that you think are are really um, headed in the right direction when um, and have done this type of work? Oh, sure. Um, I'm a big fan of Shell. And not many people mention
2: oil or energy companies. I'm a fan of them because I think what they do that's really interesting is they have um, game changers or futurists on staff that are constantly looking to disrupt their business model. So they imagine, and they have plenty of money, and they can make money for a long time without changing, but they imagine, for example, uh, will we live in a world soon where we are no longer extracting energy but growing it? And they start to build that kind of a business. I think that companies like GM and BMW Um, They are looking at their business models and saying, well, gosh, if everybody is really moving towards urban models and living in cities, maybe they won't be able to drive as many cars. So maybe we won't be a car company, we'll be a mobility systems company. So they're really doing forward thinking in terms of how they destroy or kill their own companies to become ones that they need to be before someone else kills them. Very inspiring. Thank you very much for speaking with us today, Lisa. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton,